Fellowship. We're going to be starting a new series uh, this morning. Uh, the title of the series is Teach Us to Pray. This is going to be a four-week s- uh, series. We're going to take our, our main text from Luke, the 11th chapter. We're going to be a, a, around in the next couple of weeks um, as we look at this. But our main focus that we're going to really focus in on is Luke 11. And it's a very interesting portion of Scripture. And we're going to focus in on that this morning and over the next couple of weeks as we learn how to pray. Because one of the things that I've learned is, as, as you would think that prayer would be kind of an elementary thing when it comes to Christians. You would think that they would go, oh, I know how to pray. And really what I found is we don't. I know that sometimes I go, am I praying effectively? Am I praying the way God wants me to? And so what I found is sometimes we need to stop. We need to take a step back and really see what God would want for us in this area. Because prayer is a very important part of who we are as Christians. It's our communication with God. God mainly communicates through his word. And we communicate through prayer with God. Now God uses different ways at different times, thank goodness, to communicate with us. But our main way of communicating with him is prayer. So that's a pretty important thing. It's something that we should probably understand and be able to do well. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at prayer. We're going to be looking at what Jesus had to say about prayer and how we can apply that in our lives. Before we jump in to Luke, let's pray. Father, we love you and I need you. Father, my words aren't enough. Your words change everything, so we need your words. And Father, we know because you've told us in your word. That, Father, when we don't know what to say, you'll speak through us. We know in your word that, Father, our words can cease and your words can begin. And so, Father, we need that right now. Less of me, more of you. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Teach us to pray. Luke 11. We're going to start with verse number one. We're going to go through this little... uh, about verse 13. We're going to look at this together. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to those. If not, it's up on the screen right there. It says, teaching on prayer. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying. As he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Just as John taught his disciples, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food that we need and forgive our sins. And as we, as we forgive those who sinned against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Now, after Jesus kind of explains to them this idea of prayer, then Jesus does what Jesus does a lot. is He basically gives a parable or a story that we can use to understand a little bit deeper what Jesus is saying. So he continues with this parable. It says, then teaching them more about prayer, he said, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight. Don't do that to me. Wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. I won't give you any. You say to him. A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from the bedroom, Don't bother me, the door is locked for the night, and my family and I are in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. I, and I also tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, do you give him a scorpion? Of course not. So if you, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit 
to those who ask him. This morning, we're going to focus in on a little bit of a different thing. Over the next couple weeks, we're going to focus in on different parts of Luke 11, uh, 1 through 13. And we're going to kind of look at some of these things. But this morning, I want to focus in on, on something very, very important that I think sometimes we miss. Sometimes that we look at this and we miss what Jesus is really communicating here, okay? And it's not because we, we, we're, we're not intelligent or anything like that. It's because sometimes we don't know some of the backstory and we don't really understand what things that Jesus is saying because we don't live 3,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago in Jesus' time, okay? But it's something that we need to focus in on this morning. So I want to take the time, I want to take all morning and focus in on this. Are you ready? Here we go. We're going to start with verse number 2. And it says, basically, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Okay, here's what we're going to focus in on. Are you ready? Here we go. Get ready. I'm glad you're all seated because this is important. Here we go. Father. Can I have the worship team, please? No, I'm kidding. Jesus. Father. Now, we kind of focus in on this because we are used to this. This was something totally revolutionary. This was not something that the people of this time were used to hearing. God was not referred to as Father. In the Old Testament, I looked it up. Basically, there's an average, and there was, there was basically anywhere from 13 to about 17, so I just took the, the middle, 15 times in the Old Testament that God is referred to as Father. And all of those times... He's referred to it in that way, in a way of the group or the collective. Basically what that means is, is God would call himself Father in reference to the people of Israel, to the children of Israel. But only in the entire Old Testament, 15 times. That's it. And Jesus begins with Father. This totally changes everything. Because again, what these people are used to is God being distant, God being far away, God being different. And see, here's the thing that's interesting about all of this. Why do these guys even bring it up? Why do the disciples even come to Jesus and ask him about prayer? Well, here's the thing. At the beginning of this chapter, what we see is they are looking at Jesus, they are praying together, and they notice something. Jesus is praying differently than they are. There is a difference here. There is this I'm looking at my prayers, I'm looking at Jesus' prayers, and Jesus' prayers are a lot better, quote-unquote, kind of this idea than my prayers. It's different. And so that's why they look at Jesus and say, will you teach us how to pray? Look, I don't have to be taught things that I'm already doing really well at, to an extent. But they come to him and say, um, we're really not doing well here. What are we doing wrong? It's almost like what they're asking. And so that's why Jesus is even beginning this process and beginning this talk. And the first thing he says is Father. Now again, we read that, we're used to calling God Father. But to them, this changed everything. And the problem is, is we miss it because we're so used to hearing it. I mean, you think about it, when you're a kid... The Lord's Prayer, our Father, which art in heaven. I had friends that had that Lord's Prayer. You know, I, I had a friend who had, their mom and dad had a little plaque, you know, in the bathroom for some reason. Just leave that alone, you know. And there was the Lord's Prayer. And so Jesus here starts with this idea of Father. And I want to stop right there. I almost got caught again. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. I want to stop there because here's the thing. 
I think if we miss the first word, we're going to miss the rest. Because there's something very important about the idea of God as Father. And I think we miss it. So we're going to focus in on Father this morning. Next week, we'll get a little bit different. We'll get a little bit more. But right now, we're going to focus in on that. So let's look at this. The first thing we're going to talk about is, what is the Father like? What is the Father like? Because here's what we tend to do. Let's be honest. We take our idea of fatherhood or our idea of the father that we had or maybe didn't have, whether how great he was or how not great he was, and we tend to basically say that's the way God's the father to me. And the problem is, is that is not how it works. We need to know who the father is. We need to know what he's about. We need to know his characteristics. And listen, the best way I can figure to do that is to kind of let God answer for himself who he is. And that happens in Exodus. In Exodus, basically the 34th chapter, Moses and God are kind of having this conversation. And Moses basically says, God, I want to know your glory. And God says, I can't show you that. It'll kill you. That's how great God is. He said, it'll kill you. He said, but I'll put you in this cleft. I'll guard you. And as I pass by, I will begin to tell you who I am. God begins to give him characteristics of who God is. And what's interesting about this is this is not our idea of God. This is what God is saying about himself. Okay? Like I said, normally what we do is we'll sit there and go, well, this is how I see God. And that may be really, really good, or it may be really, really not so good. This is God speaking here. So let's see what God says about himself to help us understand who he is. So this is what he says in verse number six. The Lord passed in front of Moses calling out Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish, I love that word. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. That is who God has said he is. If your idea of God's a big angry guy with a stick and a lightning bolt, you are missing who God is. This is who he says he is. He lavishes us love, faithfulness, unfailing love. No matter what you do, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're going to do, God is faithful and he loves you in a way that you cannot actually comprehend because it is so big. I don't care how big your brain is. That's who God says he is. So what that means is if your idea of God the Father is any way, in any shape or form, not this, you're missing who God really is. This is what God has said. This is how God is describing himself. If you go, well, God, I don't know if you love me right now because I messed up today. You don't know who God is. Unfailing love and faithfulness lavish. I, 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 I love, and I don't do this very often because I'm, I'm not so great. I love to lavish my wife. I love to lavish her with love. I love to lavish her with, with things. I love to lavish her with my presence. I, love, I, just, I don't, I don't want to give half of me. I want to give all of me. And I'm sinful and horrible and terrible and selfish. How do you think God lavishes us in a perfect, awesome way? Here's the deal. Let's be honest. You know what we do? Typically, God's the angry person with the big white beard and the stick. And Jesus is love. 
But Jesus was very clear. He said, the Father and I are one. To know Jesus was to know the Father. If Jesus in your world is wonderful, sweet, and loving, and caring, then God the Father is too. And should be. But if you see God the Father, maybe how your father was, whether he was really, really good or really, really bad, you're going to miss this. You're going to miss that God has a deep, intimate desire for you. He loves you. When we were kids, what do we sing? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. A wonderful, amazing song. But let's not forget who else does. Let's not forget that Jesus and God are one. And to know him is to know the Father. Listen, I love you, but you've got to listen to me. You've got to hear this and you need to, I will pound this until we get it. Okay? Because it's that important. If you see God as angry or angry with you, you are lying to a lie that you're here, you're believing a lie that is coming from literally the pit of hell. The pit of hell. And we have got to stop it because it will change everything. That's why Jesus starts there. That's why Jesus says, Father. Now, let me tell you a story. When I was dating Emily, I did something that, that I hope will kind of bring this a little bit into focus when we understand God the Father and who he is. When Emily and I was dating, one of the things that we'd like to do, and, and, and I really, I'll, I'm going to be honest with you because that's kind of what I do. Um, I am not a big movie person. Okay, some people love movies. I would rather do other things. But Emily loves movies. She likes to watch movies. So when Emily and I were dating, I had this thought that I want Emily to like me. I want her to like me a lot. And so I said, do you want to watch a movie? Of course I want to watch a movie with you. I'd rather do nothing else in the world than watch a movie with you. What would you like to watch? Because I don't watch a lot of movies. And she would say things like this. Well, let's watch Pride and Prejudice. And mind you, not the short version, <laughs> the BBC version, the version that's like six discs and goes through every word of the book. And basically it's like you start it in, in November and you finish in March. We watched it. I was good. I watched the whole thing. We had serious discussions about uh, Mr. Darcy, but we'll talk about that later. And the other thing she said, she, 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 and so she goes, well, what else do you want? Oh, oh, whatever you want to watch well, you know what I really like? What's that? Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> What's Anne of Green Gables? Oh, it's amazing. And so guess what we did? We watched Anne of Green Gables. Most of the time you'll say, hey, Aaron, have you seen this movie? 99% of the time the answer is no. But however, I have seen Anne of Green Gables. I have seen Emma. I have seen Pride and Prejudice. Why? Because I love her. And so we did. We watched Anne of Green Gables. And I don't know if you know the story. Most of you do. If you're a guy, probably not. If you're a girl, you know it by heart. In the story, there is a little orphan girl. Her name is Anne. Is it Anne with an E? And with an E, yes, I, I knew this was, this is, I, I'm making some people extremely happy right now. And with an E, and Anne is an orphan, and they bring Anne to this beautiful place called Prince Edward Island. And they adopt her, and there's, there's two people. There's, there's a brother and sister, Matthew, and, and I can't remember the, the what's, what's the, Marilla? Marilla. 
and they go to the station, Matthew is there, and they pick up what they think is going to be a boy to help with the farm work, and it isn't. Joy's loving this, I can tell. And, and, and go pick, up her, pick her up and take her back, and it's a girl. And there's a very interesting relationship that takes place. They argue about should they keep her or not, and they eventually decide to do so. And in Anne's life, she really kind of has these two parent figures, one being Matthew and one being Marilla. Now, Matthew is a, is a beautiful guy, beautiful soul. And he falls in love with Anne almost, almost immediately. And he goes to the store, and he's there picking up grain or something for the farm, and he sees a pretty dress pattern thing, and he's got to get it for Anne. Now, Marilla's stern. Marilla's, hmm, you've got to boom this way, and, and, and Anne, you can't do this, and Anne, you can't do that. And, and you know what I found is in our lives, most of the time, we see God as either Matthew or Marilla, but never the same. Never the same. We either see God as Matthew, where, where it's almost like we sit on God's lap and say, okay, God, this is what I want, this is my agenda, this is what I think I should have, or we sit and we at least see God as Marilla, which is this hard, almost tax, taskmaster of a person, never smiles, didn't really want us, or Matthew did. Let me ask you a question this morning as we kind of continue do you see God as Matthew or you see, her, see him as Marilla? Which, which where do you fall? Which, which time? Do, do you fall when God does what you want him to do? You say, God, can I have this? And God says, yes. And then all of a sudden he's Matthew. But when God says no, it's Marilla. You see, we need to understand this is God's view of himself. This is what God wants us to see when we see him. Let's read it again. The God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. So we have to start here. We have to know who God is and what he's like because it changes our prayer life. Next, what does, how does God see you? How does God see you? Because that's something we need. We, we now have a little bit better understanding of who God is and what he's like. Now we have to figure out how does God see us? Now, this is all of us. Don't disqualify yourself here, okay? Don't sit there because I know what people do. Oh, well, he's talking about those people. No, God is talking about you. This is personal. This is connectional. This is God looking at your heart, looking directly in your face, looking right into your eyes and saying this to you. Okay? You've got to understand that. This is what it says. Even before, look at Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. Even before he made the world, even before he spoke the very world into existence, God loved us and chose us in Christ, to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. But Aaron, I'm not perfect. I know. But Aaron, I've messed up. Yep. Aaron, I've done horrible things. Yep. You know how I know all those things? Because I know I have. And I know I'm not going to necessarily stop today. I might do some horrible, terrible thing today. But what's beautiful about this is those words before and 
in advance. Okay? Listen, we believe that God knows everything. He knows it all. And knowing all the stuff that you look at as a barrier between you and him, God knew about and God did it anyway. When you find yourself sitting there going, I am disqualified for the love of God. I am disqualified for all the stuff that all these other people get. You need to remember this verse. You need to remember that God chose you before he made the world. And in advance he did it. He knew. He he knows the stuff you don't even know you're going to do yet. And he was like, I love them anyway. I'll adopt them anyway. The idea of adoption here is a beautiful understanding. Because what that means is to adopt someone, they have to be out of your family and then be brought in to your family. I had a girl in, 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 back in Albuquerque um, that, that was adopted and, and she was telling me this story. And, and she, it was years and years ago. And, and she was sitting there and she was talking about it. And, and I was, we were in Sunday school and she said, well, I've really been getting picked on at school a lot lately. And I said, well, I said Becca, why? Why are you being picked on at school? And she said, well, because I'm adopted. And I said, really? I said, well, well, how's that going? She said, oh, I'm, it's just hard. And I said, well, let's pray. We prayed about it and we talked about it. Next week she showed a big smile on her face big smile. I said, Becca, what's going on? Did everything work? You know, I'm thinking, man, I'm a good prayer, you know, kind of a thing, you know? And I was like, what happened? And I said, did, did they stop teasing me? She goes, no, they didn't. They're still teasing me a little bit. I said, what happened? She goes, she goes I was reading in my Bible and, ta-, and she literally said this. I was reading in my Bible and I understood that God adopted me. And I'm like, wow, I'm a good youth pastor. You know, I mean, you know, all this nonsense, basically. And I said, well, what did you say? I'm thinking, did you quote scripture to him? What did you do? And she said, oh, I just said this. I said, they were looking at me and they were saying, ha ha, you're adopted, this sort of thing. And she just said, you know what? I understand something you don't understand. And they said, what's that? He said, my mom and dad chose me. Your mom and dad had to take you. And I was like, you know, it's like inside, you know, it's like, how do you handle that? You know, it's like, because you know, uh, outside I'm like, oh, well, okay, well, that's, you know, trying to be all, you know, super holy guy, you know. And inside I'm like, yeah, that's right. You tell him, you know, and all this sort of stuff. But the thing you need to understand, God chose you. He chose us all. He wishes that none should perish. He wants all of us to be adopted into his family. Aaron, I'm too bad, I'm too this, I'm too horrible. No, 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 no. You have been adopted in. That's why you can call God Abba, Father. We are invited in. We've been grafted into the family of God. Why do you think we call each other, and we don't always do this all the time? Why do you think, when I was a kid, maybe that's a better way to put it, we call each other brother and sister? Is it because we're super spiritual? No, because we understand we're all in God's family. So that means you're my sister. He's my brother. You know, there, is, there are actually good reasons to do things every once in a while. And so we understand that we're in God's family. You have been chosen. Now, I'm going to stop right here because I'm going to stop a lie that I know is happening in your brain at this moment. There are some of you right now that are sitting there going, that's not for me. You're wrong. You're wrong. It is for you. God knew. God knew knew before the worlds were formed. 
that he wanted to be your dad. Not just your God, not just your savior, your father. There is a level of intimacy here that Jesus is trying to get us to understand, and we would be well to take note of it. This is an amazing thing. God chose you. And here's the other thing. Just in case you thought this, God doesn't make mistakes. You say, but Aaron, but, 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 but. Can we do me, can, can we do me a favor? Okay, can we take all the buts and throw them in the garbage? Because when God's word says it, it's truth, and we don't need buts. Okay? We don't need them. Because those are what we need, that's what we do. We start to make excuses and say, God, God, why you don't know what you're doing? Okay? If you look at this verse, before he made the world, okay, again, God knows everything. But God, before he made the world, knew that we would rebel. He knew that we'd sin. He knew that we would do all those things. He knew it would cost him the life of his son. Jesus knew it. And for some reason, they made us anyway. Now, that's love. That is a desire. And what I love about it here is it says he wanted to do it. It's God. No one makes him do anything. He wanted to do it, and it gave him great pleasure. Okay, you need to understand something about God. God delights over you. Stop. Think. God. Spoke world. Boom. Anything. You. He delights over you. Knowing your faults. Knowing your mess-ups. He dances over you. You know that God that you got this picture of? He's in... Never smiles. Angry. If you mess up... Just grunts a lot. That God sings and dances over you. Don't you look at me and go, oh, well, he's talking about himself. No, I'm talking about us all. That person that you look at, oh, horrible, terrible sinner. God sings and dances over them. God desires to bring them into his family. All of us, every single one. And here's the thing, okay? If you're not living that way, if you're not treating others that way, you're missing the heart of the Father. Okay? You get it? Because God sings and dances over that person that you don't like. That person that annoys you. That person that bothers you. God sings and dances over them. God desires to bring them into his family. Let's, let's, can we do something? Can we get with God's program and stop trying to get with ours? Because I'll be honest, and I'll just speak for myself, my program stinks. My program is selfish. My program is not what God has. But when we get with God's program, literally, literally, everything changes. The world is transformed. You don't, you don't believe me? Look at Acts. Look at men, and not a lot of them, and women who decided to put their own agendas aside and focus on what God was doing and what God wanted to do and bring that kind of love and that kind of mercy and that kind of change to people's life and watch how all of a sudden people looked at them and said, oh, look, there's the people that turned the whole world upside down. You think God can't do that now? God wants to, he can, and he's looking for people that have put their agendas aside and focus on what he wants and how he sees the world. 
not how we see it all the time. But he chose you. He wants you. He is delighted with you. You bring him great pleasure. And then finally, in light of these truths, we should ask the Father for what we need. We should ask the Father for what we should need. When we understand who God is as a Father, when we understand the sonship and the daughtership that we have in the Father, because He has adopted us into His family, now we need to let those things actually affect what we do and how we pray. Because we need to understand who we are. The problem is, is we don't know who God really is, and we really don't know who we are. We have this identity crisis. We don't know who God is. We don't know who we are. And so we kind of just wander around like a, a, in a dark room, seeing if we stumble into something. God doesn't want you to walk in the darkness. He wants you to flip on the light. And the way we do that sometimes is to understand who he is and who God says we are. But we have to understand that. So because of those things, we can ask. Look at John 15. It says, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, that's important, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. And look at James. It says, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. But here we see something very interesting. God is inviting us to ask him. He's inviting us to come to him as a child would come to their father and basically say, dad, I, I, I have this need here. Now, here's something you need to understand about prayer. I believe very strongly that God answers every prayer, every single one. I feel like he answers them usually in these ways. Yes, no, or maybe later. Yes, no, or maybe later. But I believe he answers every prayer. Because that's what a father does. A good father does not ignore his child. And we know God is a good father who loves us and cares for us. He invites us to ask. He invites us to come into his presence and ask. Because what that's symbolizing, if you really think about it, is our need for him. That understanding that quite honestly, we can't do it on our own and we weren't designed to do it on our own. That we can come to our father and say, Dad, I need you. Dad, I have this need. Dad, I have this desire. And what's interesting is when our will and God's will lines up, that's what, that's what John is saying here. But if you remain in my words and, and they remain in you, when our desires are lined up with God's desires, he will do whatever we ask. Whatever we ask. Now, will he do it in the time that we want? Probably not. He doesn't always do it that way. His timing is better and perfect and ours isn't. But he will do it if we'll ask. James even says, this is, you don't have it because you don't ask. You have not because you ask. Now listen, that's what the Bible says. This isn't like some little cute little thing that we eventually will put on a bumper sticker. This is what God is saying. You have not because you ask not. And sometimes you know why we ask not? Because we don't understand who God is and we don't understand who we are. And so Jesus begins this whole process 
this whole prayer with one word, Father. You know what I really truly believe will change everything in your prayer life? Father. I'm serious about this, and and maybe I'm just simple-minded. I think we could spend five years trying to dissect what it means to have God as our Father and us as His kid. I don't know about you, but sometimes I forget that. Sometimes I assume once again that I'm an orphan and that I'm not a son of the Lord. When I was a kid, we used to say, oh, you're a, you're a child of the king. Remember that? So true. But do we really understand what that means? Do we really understand that all of our needs will be met? Do we really understand that he chose us and wants us and adopted us in, that he delights over us? Do we really understand that God is not up there with a big lightning bolt and a stick just waiting for you to mess up? Do we really understand? Because if we can, I think it'll change everything. Do I think we'll understand completely today? No. But I think God wants to take us on a journey to truly understand what it is to be his kid, and truly what it is to have him as our father. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. As they do, I want to tell you a little story that we find in Matthew, the 10th chapter, really quickly. It's a story about blind Bartimaeus. And in this story, Jesus is on his way to Jericho. He's He's, he's heading there, and, and there's a blind beggar. His name's Bartimaeus. And as he figures out that uh, Jesus is, is walking by, he begins to, to call out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He begins to call out, and they basically say, shh, 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 you're going to bother him. Be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. And I love that he, he basically says, he calls all the louder, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, have mercy. And he just begins to yell, and he begins to shout, and Jesus hears him, and he stops. And he says, bring him to me. And they get up Bartimaeus, and they bring him to Jesus. Now, now he's, he's blind. He, you know, he, in this time, to be blind was, it was a life of poverty. It was a life without a family. It was a life, you, you wouldn't get married, you wouldn't have a job. It was, it was, in some ways, it was kind of like a walking death sentence to be blind. Most Jewish people even believe that the reason why they were blind, we see this in scriptures and other places where people will say, did this person sin or did their parents? It was like a curse from God. And so Jesus brings him and he asks him these words. He says, what do you want me to do you. What do you want me to do for you? You know, as I was putting this together this week, you know, I thought I was done. I kind of put the, the, the bow on it and all this sort of stuff. And it was like God brought me to this passage of scripture to close. Because I truly believe that God here is here this morning. We've talked about it. We know he's here. His presence is here. Jesus is with us. The spirit is here. We are just one big happy family being with Jesus. And what's so beautiful about this story is that Jesus calls Bartimaeus. He brings him to him. 
And then he asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And I feel like this morning, God is calling you to himself. Jesus is here. He is calling you to himself. And he's asking you these words, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? It's not a blanket statement. It's not a communal statement. It's an individual statement here. What do you want me to do for you? Because I believe that when we pray, things change. I believe when we pray, there is battle in the heavenlies. And we win. We win. What do you want Jesus to do for you today? Because I believe, as we saw in John, when we remain in him and his words remain in us, he will do whatever we ask. Whatever it is. Can you do me a favor? Let's, we're going to close. And again, just, just so that there's not distraction, can you, can you just close your eyes for me? This isn't a super spiritual weird thing. It's just, I want us to focus. And sometimes it's hard when we're looking around. I want these words to ring in your head. What does, what do you want Jesus to do for you today? What do you want Jesus to do for you today? Maybe it's something that you've just started praying about. Maybe it's something you've been praying about for 60 years. I believe Jesus will answer. I believe that Jesus will do what needs to take place. Because I believe he's a good father. I believe he's a good father. I want that question answered. I want that question answered. I want you to know before you walk out of here tonight or this afternoon, I want you to know what that is. And then I want this week to be a week full of asking Jesus for it. And he'll answer you. I believe he will. And he may say yes. He may say no. He may say maybe later, but he'll answer you. And you need to trust whatever that answer is because he's a good father. He's a good father. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray with you and then the worship team's going to come back and they're going to close us in a, in a song that's one of my favorites. It's called Good, Good Father. A lot of you know it. But it's a very simplistic song and the concept of basically expresses who God is. It expresses who we are. And it expresses his perfection in all things. And I thought, what a perfect way for us as a family to conclude this service. So we're going to pray. After I say amen, I would ask that you stand, not right now, but in a minute, just stand. And John and the worship team are going to lead us. Father, we come to you right now. And God, you are a good father. And God, sometimes we see you as Matthew. Sometimes we see you as Marilla. But God, the bottom line is, is you, is, you have expressed who you are to us. And you have expressed a love and an unfailing love and a passion and a desire and, and, and a pleasure in us. And Father, because of your choices, because of you, you have come and you have grafted us into your family. We can call you Abba, Father. We can call you Dad. We can be like Jesus and pray and start it out by saying, Father. Not God, not Almighty One, not All-Powerful One, not Jehovah Jireh, although those things are great, fine, and dandy, but Father, 
That's how you have told us to pray, to come to you as a child comes to his father. And Father, because of that relationship, because of what you have done, not because of who we are, but because of what you have done, we can ask anything in your name and you will do it. We can come boldly. We can come, we can come in a way that says, I have the right because of what Jesus has done for me to come into the throne room of God and make my request known. You have invited us in because you're a good dad. Because we are loved by you. And so, Father, let those words, let this understanding begin to burn in our hearts as over the next couple of weeks, we begin to look at prayer. Let us start with understanding that you're our Father. And then everything else will fall into place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name. Amen.